Turn to the book of Job. Everybody groan right now. The book of Job. Oh, help us, Jesus. Can anything good come from the book of Job? The answer is a resounding yes. And I'm going to be reading several passages, so I'll let you find Job. It's right before Psalms and Proverbs. Sometimes the smaller Old Testament books. A couple of times that I've been sharing with you, we've begun to talk about the concept of promise and inheritance. And everyone loves to talk about the promise of God and the inheritance we have when it comes to being a child of God. In fact, most of us like talking about inheritances that we get even in the natural. In fact, if I were to say the word inheritance, long before we'd think about anything spiritual, in all likelihood, we would think about that which either has come or in all likelihood will come to us as our parents, grandparents, or forefathers um, pass on, and then they leave what they had accrued in their life here on earth. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible says that's a good thing. The Bible says that a good man lays up an inheritance for his children and his children's children. And that means both naturally and spiritually, I believe. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with the concept of inheritance. And these last couple of messages, we've been talking about the promise of God and the inheritance we have as saints of the Most High God. And we define an inheritance or even a promise as that which is our birthright. In other words, if, if you know, and we speak longevity to Tracy's folks and to my folks, but when it comes time for them to pass on and go on, my birthright as a Baird or her birthright as a Maccabee is that a part of that inheritance that was accrued comes to, comes to her or comes to me depending on who it is that, that passes on. And we need to understand that inheritance in spiritual things passes on to us because we have become heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ himself. And the, and the book of Hebrews tells us that a will is not in effect unless someone dies. So Jesus had to die in order to put into effect the inheritance that you and I have in him. The good news is when he was raised from the dead, he empowered it and because of that he has sealed it and said that every promise, every piece of my inheritance, the Lord says, is yes and amen. You can count on it because he rose from the dead, having the keys to death and hell, saying, I've, I've got it all now. So that's good news. All of that is good news for you and for me or for those of us that are in him. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about, though, when the promise comes or when the inheritance comes, we have to be patient with the Lord. Wouldn't it be cool if everything happened in 24 hours? I mean, it'd just be great if all of life, spiritual life, happened in 24 hours. It just doesn't work that way. And so the Lord tells us we must be patient. We must exercise faith. We must be persistent and tenacious. And we talked about that. Last week, we talked about possessing or seizing a promise. Yes, you must be patient. Yes, God sometimes seems like he's taking a long time getting something to you. But the good news is there's, al there's always a moment that he says, now, now you can seize it. Now you get to possess it. There's always a moment that the promise manifests itself in reality and you get to enjoy that. So we talked about possessing your promise. <clears throat> but as I was praying and, and considering and meditating on this whole subject, uh, there was a thought that I'll just say to you, I took as from the Lord, that, that just was quickened in me by way of, of impression to remind you that yes, we're patient, yes, we possess, and yes, we seize. But another aspect of understanding how promise comes is you must understand that there is a paradox, a paradox to the promises of God. Now give me just a moment and I will define for you what a paradox is. Some of you already know. Some of you may not know. And I will define that in just a moment. But you need to get that word in your system because the kingdom of God works by paradox. And I'm going to prove that to you here in just a moment. If you have your Bibles open to the book of Job, let me read to you several verses. I'm going to jump around here, so bear with me. I believe I put the... Uh, text on the screen overhead 
You can write them down so I can move swiftly. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz, that's Uz, not Oz, okay, in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man, listen to him now, was blameless, upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. Let me just synopsize verse 1. He was a good guy. Job was a good, righteous guy. Jump over to verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, or angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And if we were to read the rest of the story, we would find out that while God did indeed lift a hedge, it was Satan himself who began to come against um, Job's possessions, all that he had, and uh, great tumultuous, uh, tragic things began to happen within his household. Go to chapter 2 real quick. I'm going to read several passages just to get it in our spirit and in our mind today. Job 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered again and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And listen to this. Now, he's, he's already faced a great deal of calamity up to this point. I mean, he's taken some real hits in the household. But this is what the Lord says concerning him. He says, and he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And I want you to see one more time, while indeed there was an allowance in the heart of God for this to happen, who was it that put sickness on Job? Satan. Remember that. God doesn't make you sick. Satan makes you sick. And there's a good passage to prove that. Now, all sorts of things happen in the middle of the book. He gets all sorts of input from religious friends. He gets um, an exhortation from his wife. And he starts questioning God. He, he starts going through the same mental gymnastics that any of us would go through as we look at our life and we say to ourselves, what in the world has happened? I thought I was doing everything right. It seems to me that, that somehow I must have done something wrong to have warranted all of this tragedy uh, upon my life and oftentimes people will teach the book of Job and they will stop just at his tragedy and they'll deal with the problem of evil and this morning I wish I could tell you that I was going to unravel and untangle all the things there are so many themes we could preach out of the book of Job that I'll have to just leave some of them for another time but I want you to turn to the 42nd chapter because never evaluate anyone's life until you get to the end of the story Never make a judgment, never make a decision until you get to the end of the story. It's easy to have initial judgments and thoughts and opinions, but you never know what God's up to until you get to the last chapter. And it's at the last chapter we begin to see something take place here that's very important. In Job chapter 42, let me read with verse 1, it said, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Because... He'd been questioning the Lord, and the Lord came back and nailed him to the wall. And then Job says this in verse 2, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. 
You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. What Job is saying here is this. I shot my mouth off before I knew what to think. Have any of you ever done that? Boy, I've done that. I've shot my mouth off thinking I knew what I, I, I needed to know. And along comes the Lord and he begins to really teach Job. And then he finds out, you know what? I shot my mouth off before I really knew what I was saying. I've uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What he says is, I heard some input, I, I heard the reading of the word, I heard the preaching, but this is what Job said. Job finally gets to the place where he says, I got a revelation of you. You know, I never thought of this until I just now read this. It just dawned on me. That's really a pretty good encounter passage. Because there's a lot of you that have heard a lot of preaching. You've heard about the Lord. You've had teaching. You've watched videos, DVDs. The stories have been told to you. But here's the problem. The problem is Job had all those things taking place in his life, but he never pops out of his situation until his eyes see, until he gets a revelation. The light needs to turn on. And suddenly he says, I see. And once he sees the Lord or gets this revelation, verse 6, he says, therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Wow, I, I could ride that one. People never repent until they really see God. People will sit through preaching and never repent. People will hear the story and never repent. People will be instructed and taught and counseled and told and never repent. But you get a, a revelation of, of the Lord himself, and I'll guarantee you, you will repent. You will. Who can stand before him? And then here in verse 10, leap again to verse 10, it says, And the Lord restored, everyone say restored. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Uh, verse 11, Then all his brothers, his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him, ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now, where were they in the middle of it all? I don't know. But anyway, it's always amazing when God moves in your life how many friends you have. It's always amazing to me. Anyway, we'll leave that one go too. Verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And I want to teach you for just a few moments this morning on what I've entitled Paradox and Your Promise. Now, whenever we teach or we speak about the promise of God, I think the most difficult, sometimes mysterious area of life and understanding the ways of God is this thought, that if I'm so promised, and if I have this great inheritance, then why am I experiencing all the loss that I'm experiencing in my life? Why is it that if I'm such a promised person that I experience injustice? Why? Why, if I'm promised, do I face poverty? Why, if I'm promised, is there failure? Why, if I'm promised, do I taste pain at times? And I believe that the Lord puts the account of Job and the life of Job in the Scripture to teach us about the concept of paradox and the promise of God. Now, I, I want to just define for you this morning what paradox is if... if if you aren't aware of what that means, and I'll just give you the dictionary meaning. It means this, something absurd or contradictory. A paradox is something absurd or contradictory. A paradox is a self-contradictory statement, sort of like government service. <laughs> Military intelligence, you know, I'm just, no offense. I mean, you've heard these, we call them oxymorons. How about fast food? Something, something contradictory in the statement. The last thing it says is something contrary to popular belief or expectation. Now that's why the story of Job is really the perfect story 
to work with because here's a guy who is essentially doing nothing wrong. It says so in the word. In fact, the Bible tells us that he's doing a lot of things right. He's doing everything he knows to do to be upright and righteous before the Lord. And suddenly his life turns on him. And he experiences loss. He experiences poverty. He experiences pain and apparent failure. Can I ask you here this morning, have any of you here this morning been in an in a circumstance where you've experienced loss, poverty, pain, or failure. Could you just testify and wave at me? All right, thank you very much. That means you're a human being. I mean, life has a way of turning on us every now and then. Now, the book will teach us several things that I believe Job needed to understand and know in his life. And again, those would be great instructions for another time. But I want to deal just with the concept of paradox this morning. Because as Job faces these losses, as he faces these, these contradictory moments, as he serves God with all of his heart and yet he's experiencing all of these difficulties, he's got all sorts of people that come his direction to give him answers. He's got questions, he gets religious explanations and answers and as I read the book one more time, I was amazed. You really got to read Job carefully because some of what they say is right and some of what they say is wrong. In fact, I believe to really understand the book of Job, before you ever read Job, you better get the whole counsel of God in your system first. Because once you get the whole counsel in your system, then you can begin to understand some of the dynamics that are going on in this particular book. But the lesson I got from Job is that the kingdom of God is paradoxical. There are times, there are absurdities. We'll just call them God absurdities that he begins to do, and if I don't understand, I may miss what it is ultimately he wants to do and bring in my life. Listen to me. If everything God does is absolutely logical and rational, and, and it's, just, it's just perfect in its Aristotelian thought, let me just tell you, you'll think it's you. You think you're smart enough to have made that happen. So what God does is he brings absurdity to our life. And once that absurdity shows up, he can step in and do something where everybody, including you, steps back and go, ain't no way that could have happened except God did it. Now you start thinking right now of all the stories in the scripture of people who are in the most absurd, contradictory situations that look like everything was lost and God steps in and he turns it around. If you don't get that precept at times, you will miss a God moment in your life. Can I just tell you, Jesus taught this clearly. He clearly taught the paradoxes of the kingdom. He said things like this. He said, if you want, if you want to get in to the kingdom, you've got to give up. He goes, if you want to be first, practice being last. And he says, if, if you're last, you'll be first. He says, if you'll lose your life, you will gain your life. But if you try to save your life, you'll lose your life. And on and on I can go, giving you these paradoxical kingdom statements he talks about turning other cheeks and going extra miles and giving your cloak also. And you read those things and you say to yourself, what? Are you kidding? That's not what you do in the world. And God says, that's right. Those things happen in the kingdom in order to unlock certain promises and inheritances that are designed to come into your life. You see, I believe... I believe that God wants to take us from our pain to our promise. I believe God wants to bring you from your grief to glory, from injustice to inheritance, from poverty to prosperity, and from failure to a future. And if you don't get a hold of some of these paradoxes, what will happen is you will become mired in your hole and you'll need to go to the Tuesday net meeting to hear how to get out of that pit. Because a lot of people live in their holes and their pits. Because we don't get all that God may be doing at that particular moment. In fact, I believe this may be one of the most crucial ways he distinguishes himself in the earth. 
is that he lets his people get in a position of absolute total dependence that if he doesn't show up, they're in trouble. You can read it all through the scriptures. You'll see him setting us up in just this manner. Now, here's the question. The question is, how do we get to these moments of loss? Now, understand, I'm not, I'm not preaching poverty. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe God prospers your hand. He wants you to prosper. He wants, he wants you to excel. He wants you to be blessed. I believe that is the heart of God. But I'm here to tell you that you put money in some people's hands and they just get a brain cramp. You give influence to some people and they just go off the deep end. And God, God understands that. I mean, he, he knows our hearts. I mean, not only is he God and doesn't need experience, but he has the experience anyway of watching us. And so he knows that unless, unless we reach not only a, a situational point, but if, if we don't reach an internal trust point, that he'll do great things for us and we'll just go crazy. So, so a lot of times, there's scenarios that develop that give him the opportunity to do some incredible, miraculous things in our life. But the question is, how do we get to these moments of loss? I have to talk about this for just a moment. People experience loss in their life through certain happenings. Now, for many people, they experience loss because they enter into, number one, willful sin. Sin, listen to me now, sin is a destroyer. You know, I, 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 before we're done with this series I'm doing, I may just end up talking about sin for a little bit because people people don't really understand the nature of sin and why sin is sin is abhorrent to God. You know, the Lord didn't sit around one day and just make up a bunch of do's and don'ts and just said, "Well, I'll just throw this on him." I mean, I'm just going to toss this out, and I guess these are the rules, and you know, deal with it. It's it's not it's not quite that simple. The reason sin is, is, is such a, an abhorrency to God is because it, it's what alienates, it's what fractures, it's what destroys, it, it's what keeps you from having the very best God could give you. And, and the deceiving aspect of sin is, is that we think by entering into it, we're actually getting what we really want. That's the deceptive nature of it. And we need to realize that when we enter into willful sin... It will destroy, it causes us to miss the mark. In fact, the actual word for sin, one of the translations is to miss the mark. And so it keeps us off purpose. It keeps us off God's heart and his will and his best. Sin depletes us. And, and listen to me now, sin was not Job's issue though. It's some people's issue, but it wasn't Job's issue. The Bible says he was blameless, he practiced covenant, and he was upright before his God. But many people experience loss because they refuse to deal with those aspects, the sin aspects of their life. Secondly, people experience loss through the direct leading of the Lord. Now, I, I, before you go tilt, because some of you I know have full gospel charismatic backgrounds, and, and I do too. But I'm just here to tell you, God doesn't yield to our charismatic background. He yields to his word. He's attached to his word. And what his word says is what truth is. And the Bible tells us that there are times the Lord will lead you into wilderness seasons. Now, that's not me. That's the Bible. The Bible said that the Spirit of the Lord led Jesus into the wilderness. I believe it was the Lord that led David to the caves of Adullam. I believe there are moments God's hand leads us into seasons in order for us to be trained and schooled and taught. And so sometimes, by the direct leading of the Lord, He leads into these 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 lost type moments he led israel into the wilderness so they could lose some things how many of you know israel needed to lose a few things before they got to their promised land john the baptist had to go into a wilderness season and so there are all sorts of things paul experienced an imprisonment that even the holy spirit spoke prophetically is that not amazing the holy spirit said paul you're going to jail we'd be rebuking that as a familiar spirit that's divination we would, but it's in the Bible. So listen to me. This is what I'm saying. Loss, things that appear to be loss in your life doesn't mean that somehow God's forsaken you or that somehow he doesn't care about you or he doesn't love you. There, there could be something greater. I'm here to tell you that the stuff you think so important is meaningless in light of eternity. Now, that's not to say you, you won't be blessed. It's just simply saying God 
has greater things for you than just an upgrade in your vehicle or an upgrade in your house or an upgrade in your closet or whatever it may be. He's not against it, but there's greater things than just getting new stuff. Rust and moth will destroy that. So he's doing something far weightier. And then number three, which kind of fits into number two, but yet I think there's a place for it. And that is sometimes I think we're thrust into these circumstances through things that are beyond our control. And in some ways I think that was Job because Job experienced loss in his life, not because he'd sinned, not not just because maybe he didn't know everything he should have known, but there's just this cosmic conversation going on between the Lord and Satan, and he gets caught in the middle of it. And, and so in some ways, as he's going about doing life, he experiences some things that were beyond his control. Now, personally, this is what I believe. You may believe something different. I'm just telling you kind of where I've landed. I think there are times that this is what the Lord says. The Lord says, have you considered my people? Have you considered my church? These are my special people. My son died for them. I love them. There's none like them. They are upright. Look at these folk. They fear God. They shun evil. And Satan goes, well, why not? You bless them. You protect them. You've put a hedge around about them. But I'm telling you, if they experience loss, if somehow or another you don't work according to what they think you ought to do, you watch them scatter. The first sign of difficulty, the first sign of a little trouble, you watch how some of them will say, God must really not love me. He must not really care about me. You just watch them. And how we respond in times of loss, I think, will determine whether or not God can release his greater promises to us. Have you ever thought, I I just think about this. There are words in the Bible like overcome. I mean, how many of you want to be an overcomer? I mean, I want to be an overcomer. Now, have you ever thought about this? If I'm going to be an overcomer, there's something i got to overcome. Isn't that revelation? We all want that label on our life, but unless there's something in front of me that's calling me to overcome, I'll never be an overcomer. If I'm going to be patient, there has to be something that comes into my life that causes me to have to be patient. If I'm going to be faithful, there's going to be something come in my life that's going to challenge me as to whether or not I can keep being faithful. If I'm supposed to trust God, then God's going to have to allow something to come into my life and circumstance that will challenge me to trust Him no matter what I see. How else can you be trusting? We all walk around going, oh yeah, I trust the Lord, I trust the Lord. Well, we'll see. We'll see the minute you get laid off of your job and you weren't expecting it and it just happens and you've been walking around going, I trust the Lord, I trust the Lord. Well, we'll see if you really trust God or not. I mean, how else? How else can those things be revealed to us in order that we might be able to deal with them and move to the greater thing that he has for us? And here's the good news. Job didn't respond perfectly as you begin to read through the whole book. I read through the whole book and I was watching how he was talking and speaking and there were moments he was mad and irritated and he was yakking at God and God would have to come back at him and correct him and deal with him. But this is the good news about Job. Despite his imperfect journey to chapter 42, the good news is Job finally gets it. And once he got it, the Lord caused him to increase twice as much as he originally had. Now, this is the thing for you that's good news. You may not be perfect. Hallelujah. We're all human, right? Right. Welcome to the human race. None of us are perfect, but as we're moving and as we're walking and as we're responding to God and responding to his corrections and his rebukes, he's nailing us to the wall. We're doing everything we can to get our lives right. Here's the good news. The good news is... He's waiting and you're moving to the place where you get it. But our problem is, there's some of us ain't getting it. Amen. See, everybody say, get it. See, that's a really spiritual, there ought to be a doctrine of get it. You know, there's the doctrine of sanctification and regeneration and justification. We need a doctrine of get it. Because you got to get it in order to move to chapter 42, verse 10, where where Job begins to see God's hand move in a greater, even more miraculous way. Now, 
I, I want to show you just a couple things so you don't, you don't feel like you're the only one, but, but loss is a reality. I, you know, I've come to the place, I, I, I went through the faith movement and, and I, you know, I was in circles for a while where everybody was denying what they were facing. In fact, somehow or another, they, 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 they got the sort of the doctrine of denial. And the doctrine of denial is they'd be sick and they'd walk around going, you know, they'd be having a two nostril alert. <laughs> I'm not sick. <laughs> I'm not sick. Well, yes, you're sick. Stay away from me. You know, it says in Romans that we call those things that be not as though they were. Call those things that be not as though they were. It doesn't say call those things that are as if they weren't. It doesn't say that. So truth of the matter is, yeah, you could be sick. Yeah, you could experience loss. Yes, you could experience things that are not in your inheritance. And the key is not so much that you, you can't experience it as a human being. The key is what you're going to do when those challenges and moments come. How are you going to deal with that? Just walk around in denial. There are people right now, they deny everything. They not only deny they're impoverished. They not only deny they're in debt up to their eyeballs. They not only deny, you know, that they... they, they don't have good health. They just deny everything. They deny that they're bound. They deny that they're got strongholds. They just they, they live a life of denial, thinking if they deny it, somehow it's not there. But truth of the matter is, once you acknowledge it, and then God can deal with it, you can get free from it. Amen. But we've got to come to this understanding of of reality, the reality of loss. Everyone has faced loss sometime in their life. I, these are not on the screen, so write these down real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me read to you Paul, which I don't think there'd be any greater faith preacher than Paul. And if he wasn't going to talk about it or denied that it existed, he spent a lot of time in 2 Corinthians 11 enumerating some things that he had faced in his life. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. It says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. How many of you know Paul experienced some loss? It's interesting in Philippians chapter 3. Again, not on the screen, but in Philippians 3, 7 and 8. It says, uh, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And then in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. It's interesting. He says, I, I, I've had moments of great prosperity and I've had moments of lack. And it doesn't really matter what goes on with the stuff around me. Everywhere and in all things, he says, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can you imagine? Some, can some of you, if you were to lose your job, could you still say verse 13? If you were to lose a relationship, could you still say verse 13? I mean, it doesn't matter. Every, all of us have experienced loss through death, through divorce. Maybe we've lost a house or a property. We've lost a job. We've experienced crime and somebody took something from us, lost a ministry. Nobody's immune from loss. The question is whether or not you can say verse 13, I can still do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can you lose something and yet still have a faith and a trust system in place of such magnitude that the stuff being lost doesn't affect who you are and where God's taking you in Him? Whether you realize it or not, I started to think about this. Loss produces certain emotions. Now, we could talk about things like anger. We could talk about things of injustice. 
and irritation. But I, I want to take just a moment and, and tell you that for most of us that we don't even realize, whenever loss occurs, it produces what we know as grief. If you lose something that's really important to you, grief comes. And grieving, listen to me, is not an indication that you're not spiritual. You need to understand grieving is an appropriate emotion for when you lose something. It's an emotional manifestation of loss. Whenever we lose something that has touched our heart, it causes us to grieve. God doesn't begrudge us for grieving. In fact, the Bible says this. He says, when we grieve, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. So in other words, we grieve, but there's another aspect to this grieving. We realize there's still yet a future. There's something yet on the horizon. And experts tell us that there are actually these stages of grieving. The stages of grieving are, are shock, denial, bargaining, depression, anger, guilt. Then hopefully there comes hope and acceptance. And so experts tell us that, that people, as they lose something and they go through these stages, that, that there are certain manifestations of grief that begin to take place. But there are two things that I think are very important for us as believers to get a handle on when it comes to the place of loss and the accompanying grief. Number one is we have problems if the grief is not complete. You see, if we don't grieve, then what happens is, is that it can turn into other issues. Like fits of anger, rage. There are people who have experienced loss. All of us have met people, they've experienced loss of some kind and they turn to alcohol or they turn to drugs in order to anesthetize whatever the emotion or the pain that's going on inside of them. And a part of the problem is they've not understood and they've not allowed grief to come to its completion. And there is a completion. And if you've lost something, there's a moment that you grieve and you must let that grieving come to completion. But here's the second aspect or the flip of the coin. And that is there are some who let it go on too long. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when Saul passes away from the scene, the Lord looks at Samuel and he says to Samuel as he's grieving because Samuel had high hopes, great aspirations for Saul being king. But the Lord says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? How long will you mourn? There comes a moment that grieving must give way to the future. And it's time to move on or you miss the next season of your life. You miss the next aspect of your journey. And if you continue to grieve, what's happening is you're embracing that moment of loss and not allowing God to use that moment to do what it needs to do in order to bring you to your future. Satan uses perpetual mourning to keep us from seizing a better promise. Some of you have heard bits and pieces of this story, and I'm going to tell it again. You've heard the story about years ago. This was before Kaylin was, was born in our household. But Trace had gone off to a women's meeting, and there was a prophetess that was ministering there. And she was prophesying over people and actually pulled my wife out from the back of the meeting. Tracy wasn't up front, wasn't in the looking for a word line or anything like that. She just got pulled up from the back. And she received a word at that particular ladies' conference that basically said there was going to be another child added to your household. At that time, we only had Clay and Tyler. We'd had them now, um, I think they were 11 and 9 or somewhere in that particular age area. There's, what, 8 or 9 areas? 8 or 9 years between 9 and 7, excuse me. They were 9 and 7 at that particular time. And, um, you know, for me, uh, I was perfectly content with two children. I could, you know, go to a restaurant and finally eat it through a meal, you know, without having somebody screaming, yelling, having to go to the restroom or any one of a number of things that would take place. And so I really wasn't looking for any more children. I guess I'd sort of set it in my heart that two would be our number and that was all that we were going to have. But along comes this, this prophecy. And I remember when Tracy received it, she told, she told all the ladies that were there, she says, you all can, because the next day was Sunday. And, and she knew that if I got to church on Sunday, everybody that was there at the uh, event, the conference, that retreat, would, would come up and ask me about it. So she knew she had to tell me about it real quick. And so she got a tape. She brought it home. She says, I got something I want to play for you. And she played it in uh, the tape recorder, and I began to listen. And it was obvious that it had touched her heart. 
And, um, and so there was an embracing that was going on already with her. But for me, it was a little bit different story. I, I didn't know that I was prepared to have my life disjointed like that again. For those of you that have had children, you know what happens. I mean, baby enters in and life changes. I mean, that, and that's how it's supposed to be. And I wasn't quite sure that I was prepared to have that happen again. I'd been through that and navigated it, maybe not totally successfully, but at least I hadn't damaged them any. So, I mean, but I was glad that it was, you know, over. So God began to work on me, deal with me. Until finally, kind of begrudgingly, I said, well, fine. Fine, we'll, we'll have another one. And so we started the attempts at having another child, and she conceived. And at about nine weeks after conception, we went to the doctor, had the ultrasound that takes place at that particular moment, and it became evident that that fetal pole that they were supposed to see at that particular place was not there. And um, there were several other things that took place with regards to that. And it ended up being uh, a miscarriage. It ended up being a bad pregnancy. And all of a sudden, both Trace and myself were faced with this loss. Now you say, well, wouldn't that have made you happy? No, it really didn't make me happy. As a matter of fact, it made me exceedingly guilty. I started to think about all my begrudging ways. I started thinking about all my self-centered, selfish thoughts and how the universe was still sort of twirling around me. And all of a sudden, this baby that was prophesied to be a girl was suddenly gone. And it was, it was a loss. I mean, it was, it was a hit. It was a loss. And at that time, we were staff pastors at a church of about 2,000, and of course, when, when you announce a pregnancy, you know how it works in our church, and we're not that size, but in a church like that, I mean, everybody knows what's going on, and now everybody's going to know all of a sudden this took place in your life, and you're going to have to demonstrate how you deal with loss. And I can remember having to go to church that Wednesday night, because the Wednesday night of the miscarriage, I was scheduled to have to speak that very night, and I had to stand up. And I had to go ahead and declare the promises of God. And God is good. And do I understand everything? No, I don't understand everything. And why we face this loss. I do know out of that it began to touch me in the areas that I needed to be deeply touched in. But I, everybody started to say, well, what about the promise? What about that which the prophet said? What about all those kind of things? And I can remember saying, I don't know. I don't get it. I'm not sure I can put it all together at this particular point. All I know is, is that God is still good, He's still on the throne, His word is still true, and I am not adjusting my faith system because I've had this experience. Trace was able to heal up. She became pregnant again. We began to go through those initial weeks. And all of a sudden, at about the nine-week mark, again, we went in for the ultrasound. And one more time, the doctor said, there's no fetal pole, there's no heartbeat. It's another bad pregnancy. And I can remember hearing those words and saying, what in the world? And, and uh, the doctor that was there said, you might as well go ahead and schedule the DNC. You might as well go ahead and take care of it. This is just how it works, and we're going to go ahead, and you can try again. And I remember Trace and I went out to the car, and we were sitting in the car, and we were just one more time reliving all that we had relived through that initial miscarriage and going, can this be true? And then there was something that rose up in us at that moment. And we said, no, God's word, I believe, is true. And we drove, we made it a beeline straight over to our local church. We called some of the other staff pastors around us. We sat uh, Trace in a chair. We laid hands on her and we began to speak life into her womb, and we began to speak life into her body, and we began to speak life to that, that little baby that was beginning to mature in that particular area. And we had asked the doctor, we had said, is there any harm in letting this go a while? And the doctor looked and said, uh, uh, no, I guess there's no harm, but it needs to be done as quickly as possible. And then we went and got this, this second opinion, and he said, well, you can wait a little bit longer. And then, and then what happened was a couple weeks, I think maybe later, we went back in for that next sonogram. And all of a sudden, when that sonogram hit that little baby inside of there, all of a sudden you could see that little fetal pole moving in there. 
It, it wasn't until years later we were sitting down at a meal, visiting with another OBGYN. And we just told him that story. And we explained to him all the intricacies of what took place in that story. And he looked at us and he said, you, I want you to hear from me, a doctor, what, what happened. That if I would have been your first doctor, I would have told you to go have a DNC as well. And I'm a Christian doctor. I don't believe in abortion, he said. But, but, but I would have told you the exact same thing. What happened was you experienced a miracle. God started a heartbeat in Tracy's womb. And that promise ended up sitting right down here on this front row right there. And her name's Kaylin Rama. Kaylin Rama. But yeah, praise God. Because I don't know what we'd done if Kaylin hadn't showed up. And she's been a blessing in our life. But listen, listen to this. What did that loss do to me? Loss, loss created something in us. That loss knocked the slack out of us. That, that loss woke us up. That loss began to open our eyes again to the fact that, you know what, God has a promise. And maybe, I don't know, there's an answer to all of the reasons why this or that and the other, and we can figure that out, and maybe that's helpful. But the bottom line is, is that everybody experiences loss, but the question is, what will you do with your loss? Some of you have lost your jobs, some of you have lost relationships, some of you have, have lost careers, you've, you've, you've lost finances, you've lost children, you've lost any one of a hundred different things, and and it's knocking you out and it is time you shook that off and you stood back up and you believed God again. That he out of your loss and out of the ruins and out of the ashes, he can raise faith up again inside of you so that you can get to your Job 42. You need to begin to let that happen in you. I'm not going to sit here and say, you'll be a Christian, you'll never experience loss. That's not truth in advertising right there. No, you become a Christian and you get a bullseye from the enemy. He'll come after you with everything he's got. All hell sometimes comes against you. And yes, you'll experience loss. But the good news is, out of the loss, God can bring inheritance and promise. And he glorifies himself in the midst of that. Job's loss embittered his wife. If you'll read the story, she comes up to him watching all this happen, and she looks and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Isn't that true? I have had this happen on numerous occasions where bad things or difficult things were going on in my life, and I've had religious people tell me what they thought was going on. I'll never forget some of the things that take place in the middle of loss, and everyone looks and goes, yeah, you're serving God. If, if God's for you, it sure enough doesn't seem like he's helping you all that much and you just need to look him in the eye and stare him down and say what Job said. Though he yet slay me, still will I praise him. I know how to abase and I know how to abound. I know how to have a lot and I know not to have much. And my eyes are fixed, my walk is straight, I'm not turning back and Job 42 is coming to me. Amen. How have you done with loss in your life? God wants to use it to bring you to promise. Now, I'm going to give you just real quick here. I, I always say real quick, don't I? I want to go through, write it quick. The benefit, I'm going to show you some benefits real quick. The benefits of loss. Let me tell you some things that can work in your life. Number one, it'll begin to produce maturity in you. Maturity. There's nothing worse, listen to me, there's nothing worse than a whiny rich person. There's nothing worse. Nothing worse than someone who's got a ton of bucks and they whine. When you're in the top 3% of the world as an American. I mean, I'm sorry. When I saw that whole Paris Hilton thing and she was whining about having to go to jail and wear an orange jumpsuit and whatever the food was going to be, I'm just like, I don't want to hear it. You, you've, got, you've got 28 days. Big deal. But that's just a picture of the American Christian. I mean, we're just immature and, and there's no doubt that when you lose something, it can, it can diminish you, but it can also enlarge you if you let it. Loss can expand your capacity to know God at a deeper level. Loss can be a catalyst to a greater transformation. I remember listening to the guy at Bethany World Prayer Center who was having to race for his life because he lost everything to a refugee camp three countries over, and he started 52 churches on his way to the refugee camp. And I started thinking, wow, what have I got to complain about? He's lost everything. 
But yet, look at what he can do. I, he, I'm not even worthy to go. Uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine someone walking up to him and saying, "You know, you know, the, the people at my work make fun of me. What do you think I ought to do about it?" That guy, I think it was from Nigeria or somewhere. He, he, I mean, he, I, he probably couldn't conceive of that immaturity. Number two, it produces joy. Sorrow gives way to joy. The Bible is full of references of how sorrow, grief may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. They're inextricably linked together. The reason sorrow comes into your life is in order that you might understand the benefits and the greatness and the thrill of joy. And when joy comes, it produces the strength we need for the next season. Loss produces joy. I know you don't think that way. You think all loss does is diminish you. And that's all it will do if that's where you elect to stay. Number three, loss produces change. Life is never the same after we experience a loss. We cannot do things the way we could before. Loss changes us and our perspective. Paul knew that. He knew how to obey. He knew how to abound. And truth of the matter is, it transformed him. Unfortunately for some folks, loss is the only way God can get you changed. Is when he begins to, to allow a taking away, you awaken to your need or greater need of those wonderful, internal, intangible things. Like trust and faith and belief and contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment. That's why it's oftentimes difficult for a rich man. In fact, Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom because it's like going through the eye of a needle. The reason he, he says that is because at times we can, we can design our life in such a way that we can actually avoid for a while the dealings of God. We can afford to get out of a sticky place. We can afford, you know, to, to be alleviated from whatever it is God was trying to talk to us about. And so what happens is, and this is the cool thing about God, He doesn't care how much you have, He's got more, and He will get to you. Amen. And then finally, number four, it'll produce resurrection or restoration. Resurrection can never happen unless there is first loss. Otherwise, what would he be raising up? God's response to death is new life. So God's response to anything you have lost is to breathe newness of life into that. In Ezekiel 37, where bones are scattered everywhere, what's God's response to that death that's scattered? He wants to breathe on it and raise it up into a great army. So don't you be too overwhelmed by the fact that there are moments you feel like, all I, all I have to show for is loss, or all the church has to show for is loss, or all the body has to show for is loss. That can be the perfect positioning for God to breathe into the midst of that and raise that up. And everyone looks at it and goes, whoa, where did that come from? Well, it came from the Lord himself. It wasn't human ingenuity. It wasn't because we're so smart and all that and sharp and all the rest. It's because God entered into our death and raised it up into newness of life. He stepped into my loss and he caused me to prosper. He stepped into that which was devastating and brought resurrection to it. Amen. And I started thinking, and I'm going to end with this. It always ends with me thinking. But I started thinking about just life with the Lord. And, and, and you know it's been true for some of you as well. I can remember, I can remember getting saved and born again and all of a sudden clipping off every friend I ever had. And I lost them all. I lost my friends. I, I lost a job. I lost some of the respect in, in, in family and extended family. But you know what God did? Even though I lost all that stuff and there was a season of aloneness, God raised up new friends. And he raised up a different family. And he raised up some things and said, can I not give back to you in multiplied ways? Don't you let loss detour you. I remember when I was filled with the Spirit. Just got the Holy Ghost. All I did was go shop a do That's all that I did. And suddenly my denomination said, we don't want that. You don't fit here anymore. And let me just tell you, they took my pension... They, they took my future, at least at that time. All I had was 300 bucks in my pocket and everything I owned in a rider truck. I had lost everything. The guys that stood in my wedding and stood with me 
wouldn't return my phone calls, wouldn't talk to me, look down their nose at me. To this day, they won't have a word to to do with me. But I'm telling you, out of that loss, God raised up a whole lot of new friends, a whole lot of new pastors, a whole lot of new connections, a whole lot of new of everything to make that loss look like it was nothing. And guys, I'm not going back over past territory, but I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what gets taken from you. And I've had things taken from me that God won't raise up and do Job 42 in my life because he's no respecter of persons. And he'll do it in your life too. Amen. How you doing? How you doing with the paradox? How you doing at this moment when it seems like everything looks one way? Can you hear the voice of the Lord saying, don't you worry about what you see. You just keep your eyes focused on what you know. And you watch God raise you up and raise you out and put life in you and cause twice as much to come back as you had before. You, you think it'll never be like it will be like it used to be. I'm here to tell you, you're right in some sense. It isn't going to be like it used to be. But truth of the matter is, it's going to be better. The glory of the latter is always better than the former. Always. Always. Stand up, will you? Thank you, Lord. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to speak hope. And we're going to just just knock the grief out. It's time. I just feel like I, there's an appropriate time to grieve, and I, I realize that. But you know what? I think for some of you right now, you need to identify you've been grieving too long for something that you lost. Wishing, wanting, could I do it different, regret. If, I'd only, if only I'd done this or if only I'd done that. Let me tell you something. We all have it in all sorts of different areas. I can't imagine losing a, a loved one or a child and, and saying to yourself, if only I had called them, if only I had said this, if only I'd kept them here. I can't imagine what that must feel like. I, I can tell you right now, I've dealt with regret. I, I, I could have, should have probably had two daughters sitting on the front row tonight. And, and, and I, I could have, should have, would have. But truth of the matter is, God brought his promise. To me and Kaylin. There's going to be a day when he takes me home, takes my wife home, and I'm going to have a daughter greet me that I never got to meet. See, so I still win. I still win. Listen to me. I don't know what your loss is, but it's time to believe God in the midst of your loss right now. And we're going to pray, and I'm just going to speak hope. We're going to let hope arise again. And, and if that's where you are, you need, you need your hope, and you need to link up again. Come on now. Let's just gather in at the altars of the church, and let's just let God raise us up out of loss. If you've experienced loss, then let God begin to raise you up out of that. And you just come on down. We're going to pray, and we're just going to slap the grief out of the situation right now. Right now. And we're just going to pray and let God revive and resurrect and restore you. And whatever it is you think you lost, that you'll never get back. I'll never get this back. Okay, you won't ever get that back. But I will assure you that sorrow lasts through the night, but joy comes in the morning, and what God will give you will be greater than whatever it is you think you've lost. You've got to get that view again. You ever wonder why the rear view mirror is smaller than the front windshield? It's because you weren't meant to look back very often. But you were meant to look forward. And right now, we're going to believe God together. And we're just going to let him put resurrection power back inside of you. Thank you, Lord. Come on now, everybody in the house, just begin to seek God. Let's let a little rumble take place here in the house and begin to reach out to the Lord and bless the Lord. Come on now. Though he yet slay me, still will I praise him. Come on now. You may be as at the end of the rope at the bottom of the barrel, you may feel like you couldn't go any further. That doesn't mean you can't bless Him and you can't praise Him. Come on, you need to begin to do that. You need to praise Him and bless Him and honor Him. Don't you wait for your situation. Don't you sit there and try to hold God hostage and say, well, if you make it better, I'll praise you. Let me tell you, God does not negotiate. He says, you praise me now. You bless me now. You lift my name up now and watch what I can do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, right now, I just declare resurrection, life-giving power to come into this place. 
Let it begin to envelop and dwell along the altars of the church here, Lord. Lord, raise up out of the ashes and out of the disappointments. Raise up, Lord, out of the, the confusions the, and, 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 and all of the, the misinterpretations. Lord, raise up right now, Lord, your promise again in the hearts of your people. Come on now, all the promises of God are what? Come on, I want everyone that's down front, I want you to say this with me right now. Say, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Come on, say, all the promises are yes, yes. Come on, get that yes in you. Yes, Lord, right now, let that yes begin to resound in them again. Yes, the enemy is a thief, a stealer. And a destroyer, yes, that is his job description, but you are the Lord of resurrection and restoration. And when the thief is caught, he, he must restore sevenfold, Lord. You restored to Job twice as much. Lord, he's caught this morning in his destructive ways. He's caught in these losses in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we confess, we don't know maybe how we got there. For some, they got there because they made a poor choice. Maybe they sinned and got there. Lord, you can forgive them of that sin right now if they'll repent from it. Lord, some of them got there because you're doing a work in their life and they just aren't getting it. Lord, give them the doctrine of get it this morning. And Lord, some of them are there not because they did anything wrong. They didn't do anything. It just came their direction. Lord, you're not to blame. You're the one that can come in and do incredible things. Lord, stir in your people this morning that hope again, I pray. Let hope arise. Breathe on these. Let the promise begin to come forth and expand. And let us see life in that, I pray, right now, in Jesus' name. Come on, you need to do something right now. You need to say, I receive the life of God into my being to resurrect my promise. I believe it. Not because I see it, but because God said it. And I shall not be moved. No matter what happens... Job 42 is coming my way. I'm believing you, Lord. If you do it for Job, <laughs> you'll do it for me. I believe it. I declare it. I confess it. I stand in it. I will not be moved. Raise it up in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on now. Begin to bless him. Begin to bless him. Begin to bless him. The day of promise is at hand. Your promise is at hand. Your promise. you got to believe that. I, I want to believe that for you. And, and, and I will to the extent I can. But there's going to come a day you've got to believe that. You have got to believe that. And if you'll seize and believe that, God will pull you out of all the junk. He'll pull you out of all those losses. And he'll resurrect that which you thought was gone forever. Yes, he will. he's perfect at doing that. When it dies and everybody feels like it's gone, that's the moment God says, I resurrect it to give it to you. Amen. Father, right now, I thank you right now. There's, there's a promise stirring in the place. And Lord, I ask you right now, whether it be these who are down front or whether it be those who are there in their seats, Lord, I pray right now that we would not leave this place without laying hold of our hope once again. The hope we have in you. Lord, we are people who may grieve, but as was mentioned, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Lord, we are sorry the loss occurred, but we're believing you for better days. Thank you, Lord, you're, you're, you're drilling that in us this day. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you this. Is there anyone here, if you've never opened up your heart specifically and received Jesus Christ, I just want you to be able to acknowledge God before you go this morning. That's where it starts. You can't have a hope unless you're in him. If you're not in him, then we can fix that before you go. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If there's something between you and your Savior right now, and you just say, I, I, I want to I get in him and pray before I leave the house of God, lift your hand real quick. Real quick. Just lift your hand real quick. Is everybody clear?
Lord, thank you this morning. Thank you this morning, Lord, that our confidence is in you. Bless your people now, Lord. I'm going to release them. I'm going to release them into their their jobs and their circumstances. Some are going to be going back into those difficult, loss-filled situations. Lord, I pray right now that they will not go back there the same way. Lord, that the spirit of get it is residing in us. And that you're turning our situations around. And Lord, we give you thanks for that this morning. So Lord, I release them with a new sense of your presence, a new sense of destiny, a purpose and a promise and inheritance. Lord, may they be an encouragement to each other and those they come in contact with. May we truly be the temperature setters in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give them one last praise offering. Hey, and I want you all, before you go, you, you need to hug a neck or two and tell them it's going to be okay. God's going to come through. It's going to be okay. In fact, it's going to be better than okay. Love each other. God bless you. You're released. We'll see you. Hopefully we'll see a prayer meeting Wednesday night. God bless you.